Hola, ¿es tu hijo el que se atreve a treparse al árbol más alto? El que siempre se arriesga a intentar cosas nuevas. Entonces, Capitanes del Futuro es para ti. Un programa gratuito de liderazgo para jóvenes hispanos patrocinado por la MLS y PNG. Inscríbelo ya en capitanesdelfuturo.org y haz de tu hijo un capitán. Recuerda, estamos hablando de nuestros hijos, del futuro de América. I'm Rick Wilson. And welcome to the Enemies List. Our guest today is David Korn. He's the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief of Mother Jones. He's the author of the Our Land newsletter, which is terrific, by the way, and a frequent MSNBC commentator, the author of the recent book American Psychosis, and an observer of Washington from the left that I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from today. There was also maintained what was called an Enemies List. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson. And this is The Enemies List. I think we should just jump right in, David. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you are a very smart observer of the sort of media landscape that we're in right now. And there are so many areas where I feel like the media landscape by people who are both ill-intentioned and well-intentioned but naive about the world as it exists now are, are missing a point and leaving us in a position where 2024 is going to be a much harder race and, and the and the environment's going to get much worse before it gets better. Like we're seeing absolutely stunning jobs and economic numbers for Joe Biden. And, and it seems like the media narrative has already gone into the ditch and basically all the mainstream media is even following Fox News down. It's like, oh, this is terrible news for the country. That's a broad spectrum problem. You've thought a lot about that. What do you see as the future of the current media landscape and how it's going to affect us going forward? I've often thought that the media, conventional media, has a trouble with a very simple job, and that's priorities, prioritization, what's important, what isn't important. And So you know, the jobs numbers come out you know, and inflation's down, unemployment's down, job numbers are incredibly high. They may be revised, you know, a month from now, but they're still going to be really high. And there's still a tremendous fixation on, you know, how many classified documents were found, where and how. Now, in the end of the day, the, this could turn into a scandal of importance. Maybe there, these are documents that were mishandled. Maybe these are documents that are indeed highly sensitive and created a, a security threat. But at this point in time, we don't know any of that, right? We just know that there are some documents and that Biden's cooperating. I don't think that should be the lead story uh, of the moment, you know, with the war in Ukraine, uh, with other things happening. And yet it becomes sort of a, a, consens a consensus issue. In the media, that's really what you have to chase after um, almost on a daily basis right now. You know, we saw this happen, of course, with Hillary Clinton's 
email, which was indeed a problem if you did do something wrong, but was it the most important thing to focus on and get as much attention as it got from the political media throughout the 2016 campaign? I would say no. There were a lot of other things going on at the time. It's just hard, I think, for many within the media to cover anything within proportion. And so it's always like the next big thing, the shiny, glittery object that everybody sort of runs towards and covers the hell out of. And if you're spending that much time on something, you have to make it sound like it's the most important thing happening at this point in time. What we see in the House, we, we have a party, a majority of election deniers, a large number of conspiracy theorists have taken over half of the legislative branch. And we act as if it's kind of normal. It's just the Republicans coming in. Um, so I, I, you know, long, long-winded answer to your question that I don't think uh, the media is very good at figuring out what's the most important thing at any given moment in time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. And I think I think a lot of it, the I, as I said, the persistent both sidesism where you treat insanity and and this increasingly authoritarian movement in the same way you would treat two relatively speaking normal political parties in in DC in opposition to each other it's also funny because i think sometimes we in this weird post post republican era i think a lot of reporters in DC and you probably have observed this too um, it's like they have trouble handling a story like george santos there's like a sense of disbelief, like, how is this actually happening? How is this really going on right now? How is, how is George Sand? I mean, I don't know if I've never seen anyone even comparable to him in terms of, yeah. of just the mendacity of the guy, the theatricality of, of how much of a, a, a freak show the guy is. Well, what, what, what strikes me, and I've been able with a, with a colleague at Mother Jones, Noah Leonard, to break several stories mm-hmm. about Santos in the last, in the last week or, or two, uh, particularly phantom donors to his campaigns people who yes yeah, so i was gonna for, that was my next question yeah, for you yeah, was, and, was yeah and they don't they, the... yeah and they don't exist i mean but I, as 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 a as a reporter who's covered uh american politics i hate to say for how long but let's just say several several decades maybe then some <laughs> i have never seen a congr- a single congressional campaign that has provided so many investigative opportunities I mean, I still can't keep up with all the leads and ideas that we have for examining and scrutinizing George Santos, whether it's his campaign finances, <laughs> his personal campaign, his personal finances, connections with, with with some wealthy people and some shady packs. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I'm not even talking about the lies. You know, I was a volleyball champion. I played for the Yankees right. in 1972. I mean, I, I landed mean, on the moon. <laughs> You know, it's the, the Chinese spy balloon. I built that. I mean, it, 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 all that stuff. You know, it, 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 it's it's important because because it shows a certain psychopathology. But in terms of what we're investigating in the money side of things, I mean, it. You know, we still don't have enough reporters working on all the leads there could be out of this. And I, you know, and, and this is sort of how you know how I think how we exist in the, in the Trump era. It's a continuous, never-ending state of disbelief. You know that first, the disbelief about Santos, but disbelief that the Republicans would accept this guy, that would put him on a the you know committee where he might someday see classified information. 
Um, and the same thing goes for Marjorie Taylor Greene, a conspiracy theory nutter, nutter who now is on the oversight committee and will have access you know, to classified information. And Kevin McCarthy has just completely embraced her. And, you know, it's, you know, and everyone says, oh, it's politics. Everyone does this. And, well, it's really not. It's really quite no, different it's, than things it's... we've seen in the past. One example, uh, you know, you might remember, you know, after 9-11, you know, there was 9-11 conspiracy theories, truthism, and there was one sure. House member, a Democrat named Cynthia McKinney, who advocated oh, yeah. some of the 9-11 conspiracy stuff. The Democrats treated her as if she was radioactive. And eventually she got primaried and she lost her House seat. They did not embrace her. They did not find excuses to talk about, well, she's matured. Or there are a lot of questions out there. All the, the bullshit that McCarthy and others keep saying about Marjorie Taylor Greene and the crazies of the party. And so there is, and I, this is what I talked about a bit in my book, American Psychosis. It's not, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's not a moral equivalency the way the Republicans embrace and deal with, excuse, absorb their extremists on the right and the Democrats who tend not to do that. Um, and, you know, it, it just keeps happening again and again and again. And the acceptance of Donald Trump, of course, is the ultimate in all this. And, and I think we get kind of numb to it. And we don't realize just how extreme everything is that we're witnessing on a day-to-day. -day. And, and places like Politico just don't know how to frame it properly. It's right. like, well, they got to report on what McCarthy's doing as if he is a normal speaker. And, um, you know, it mm -hmm. doesn't serve the public. Speaking of, of, of your book, American Psychosis, it's terrific, folks, and you can get it everywhere Everywhere fine books are sold. But I wanted to ask you, you you know, uh, I've written books about the decline and the change of the Republican Party. And you looked at this, I think, with a with an even longer sort of historical lens about how the crazy has been rising for a lot longer than most people think. And the crazy has been sort of growing and metastasizing and building a lot longer. It, it, this isn't something that popped up just at the era of Trump, although I think he was like an accelerant for it. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what you found. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 not that the crazy has just been steadily increasing over the last couple of decades. I argue that since World War II, it's always been there to some extent. You know, mm -hmm. Joe McCarthy's extreme paranoia, conspiracy theory, John the John Burke Society. Yeah. You know, Eisenhower wanted to attack, or, you know, be critical of McCarthy. He was told not to do it, and he didn't publicly, though he hated him. Um Barry Goldwater made use of the John Birch Society, which was basically the QAnon of its day, you know, without mm -hmm. baby eating and sex fluoridation, um, fluoridation, you know, Russian weather machines and commies literally everywhere. Every PTA, every union, every classroom, every corporation, every church. I mean, it was pretty nutty stuff. And then, you know, in the in the 70s, you had the Republican Party from the 60s and 70s making deals with, with, with right-wing segregationists in the South, which Democrats had done in the past. But now the Republicans came in after, <laughs> after the country started mm -hmm. moving towards civil rights uh, legislation and came in and kicked the Democrats to the side and said, no, we're your best friends to people like Strom Thurmond <laughs> and other segregationists. In the 70s, they made common cause with the new right and, and the religious right, which, were, you know, both of which were using direct mail, sort of like the, um, 
the internet of its day to reach a particular audience around major media, go out around you know the conventional media uh, slipstream, and mm-hmm. tell them that the Democrats were basically evil. They wanted to destroy God. They wanted to destroy the country. They were enemies. They were sort of like the 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 dehumanization, the demonization of the other side. And it got so bad that when you had the moral majority and people like Jerry Falwell in the late 70s attacking the advancement of gay rights, they literally, there were literally members of the moral majority. I mean, a fit officers, senior people who said, mm-hmm. under God's law, you could execute homosexuals. And at that time, Ronald Reagan was going to you know, rallies and meetings and endorsing the moral majority, you know, hand in hand with Jerry Falwell and embracing him that way. So my argument is that there's always been this extreme far right paranoid or sometimes driven by hate. And the Republican Party has always had a relationship with it. Sometimes it's been waxing, sometimes waning. George W. Bush tried to distance himself from that a little bit, but then embraced it when he was threatened by John McCain during the primaries. And then starting with, you know, but you know, starting with Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh in the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. this demonization, the advancement of conspiracy theory, grievance fueled by paranoia. Uh, just really kept taking off and kept, you know, and the, and the party kept making more room for it and making it more obvious from from the um, the, the, the foster conspiracy theories with, with Clinton, <laughs> you, know, to, and the, you know, and then you have the, the Tea Party saying that Barack Obama was building uh, death camps, concentration camps, uh, death oh, yeah. panels, and that he really and that he had a secret plan to destroy the economy so he could implement a dictatorship and you could hear full this communism <laughs> yeah you could hear this every night on fox with glenn beck and okay you know there's always been the crazy okay and that i'm not you know i i don't expect that not to be there but the thing is while glenn beck was saying all this stuff john boehner senators republican senators and republican members of the house were coming on his show and validating him, authenticating him, legitimizing him, because they wanted that Tea Party energy to help win the House back, which they did in 2010. Um, so it's it just keeps going on until you get to Donald Trump, when he looks around and says, you know what, what they used to think was the sideshow of the Republican Party, that Republicans didn't like to fully acknowledge, you know, establishment Republicans as, mm-hmm. as part of the base or, or a driving force of the party, he said, hey, that's the main ring of the circus. And right. I'm going to speak to them directly. And they've been weaponized. They've been conditioned to want red meat that says that the Democrats and liberals are destroying the country, that they're, that, that they're evil. Um, and, you know, I'll give them that. Let Chris Christie talk about infrastructure. Let Bobby Jindal talk about education policy and let Jeb Bush talk about healthcare or whatever, you know, you know, fine. They can all do that. I'm taking this big bucket of chum and I'm just going to throw it to the Republican base that over the last few decades had been uh, radicalized to, to, to mm-hmm. want the most extreme divisive, tribalistic, um, paranoid-driven, grievance-driven rhetoric you could come up with. And, you know, the rest is, I, I mean, say, it's sometimes, it's sometimes the world, 
the world gives us like a, a really current example of how good they are at transforming this. You guys had an article in Mother Jones uh, the other day about the guy that into the died suddenly hashtag. This, you know, yeah. COVID, COVID opened a billion conspiracy boxes for these people. And it just blows me away how effective and, and hermetic that, that media infrastructure is and how fast it's become. Because, uh, you know, the, the, the old joke about, you know, a lie is around the world before the truth gets its boots on. Now it's, you know, a lie has multiple Facebook pages, uh, you know, a TikTok channel and, and an Instagram account before the truth has even gotten out of bed. It's crazy how fast these things become articles of faith with the MAGA base in particular. Yeah, yeah. Kara Butler did that story for us mm-hmm. on the rise of this died suddenly conspiracy theory. And it's a it's a it's a great sort of forensic dissection of how right. crazy moves so quick and so fast. And you know, it's kind of funny, you know, progressive oppositional journalist that I've always been, you know, I grew up you know, railing against the gatekeepers, you know, you know, mm-hmm. if it wasn't in the New York Times, it didn't exist. And the New York Times was run by neoliberals and neoconservatives who wouldn't put stories <laughs> in about the El Mazalti massacre in El, in El Salvador, which, which is completely true. And if, you know, if they right. didn't see something, then it didn't exist. And there were three networks and, the, and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, places that I worked for, like the Nation Magazine, were premised on the idea that we needed to expand media voices and media outlets but now, you know, the, and the internet, you know, gave us that and it's done a lot of good. But at the same time, it has completely removed any gatekeeping or vetting of information. So you can right. get on Facebook right. and you can start peddling anti-COVID, you know, anti-vax, uh, COVID disinformation. Trump can get out there and say, um, I never dealt with the Russians, even though he, he tried to score a big deal with them, you know, a, a multi-million dollar deal with them when he was running for president. And, you know, people see this and they believe these things. Um, they often believe things that address their their pre-existing predilections, uh, but they b- believe them. And when you fact check them, you know, I mean, <laughs> my, my friend Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post, sure, the yeah. fact checker there, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the Trump presidency, they had come up with 30,000, 30,000, you know, mm-hmm. false statements or lies that he had told. And I mean, it's really good that they do that. But, you know, is it impacting the people who, you know, who believe the lies? You know, the, the short answer is no, because they want to believe the lies, lies and desire is mm-hmm. more important than, than, than wanting to be accurate and truthful. And we just see this, you know, and, and these fights just in part because of the internet never, ever, ever, you know, end. There's no resolution. Uh, this week, right. even as I'm talking to you, I'm involved in these contretemps over a 24,000 word story in the Columbia Journalism Review. That, that was bashes- my next question. <laughs> okay. You want to ask the question? Or should no, I no, go, go, go. No, no, no. no I like, the, you, you bridged it perfectly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. A, a 24,000 word piece in the Columbia Journalism Review, which people have had, had considered the gold standard for media criticism, bashing the media for its coverage of the Trump-Russia scandal. And it's written by Jeff Gerth, an investigative reporter mm-hmm. um, who has at times done great work and at times also has 
you know, his work has been questioned, his work on Whitewater and on this Wen Ho Lee espionage case uh, yep. a bunch of years ago. You can look that up if you, if you care. Oh, I, I remember um, the case. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't get into the details there. Anyway, he slams the media for basically being unfair to Trump in its coverage of, of, of the Russia scandal. But I wrote an article, you know, afterwards, wasn't 24,000 words, believe me, um, taking him to task for only looking at two aspects of the Trump-Russia scandal, which is the reporting of the Steele dossier, which had a lot of unconfirmed information in it, and there were reports on it that, you know, probably went too far, and reporting on the notion of collusion, and that is whether Trump mm-hmm. directly worked with, with right. Moscow and the hacking and leaking operations and shaped the 2016 election. And there's no mm-hmm. strong evidence that he was involved in that plot in and of itself. But it leaves out what I think are the two more important elements of the scandal. And that is, A, Russia did attack the 2016 election to help Correct. Trump. And that had an impact and in a very close election. It was one of several decisive factors that uh, helped win the day for, for Trump. Uh, the release of all those emails and material from Hillary Clinton over the last four weeks of the campaign that slowed her campaign down. So that, that was part one. And the other right. part is that Trump consistently through the 2016 campaign you know, aided and abetted the attack by denying it was happening. Whether he was in on right. it from the get-go he basically tried to cover for Putin, and he ran interference for Putin. He said, there's no evidence. This attack isn't happening when he had no reason to say that. And in fact, his campaign met with a Russian emissary, and we're told that the Russians wanted to help during the campaign. So they had reason mm-hmm. to believe that, yes, the Russians were doing this. And so all the people out there you know, on Trump's side and people like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi who keep saying the Russia coverage was a hoax – they're all defining it by the Steele dossier and the issue of collusion, and they're missing the bigger picture. And I was astounded that the Columbia Journalism Review kind of fell for this right. bogus framing of the scandal and went to town on it. Everybody's got a morning ritual. I know I do. And I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving. And more than coffee sometimes, it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the craft handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back, do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle and the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. It really was striking how they just took the bait on it. And and, and, I, and look, I think you and I can both agree, the bait here, and you just mentioned Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi, you know, two guys who you talk about a weird journey from their, you know, original ideological predicates. They both took the bait and and they took it through the modus of Elon Musk, the new CEO of Twitter, and a guy who I think we can all agree is is 
at least at least providing an awful lot of jet fuel for some very bad faith actors in our in our media and our politics. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's sort of this, you know, anti-establishment, anti-media, anti-liberal, and with Eli, he adds anti-woke. You know, they all, you know, it's all anti, 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 anti. Mm-hmm. And it's all driving their analyses of everything else happening. Now, listen, you want to argue about, you know, you know, diversity issues or, or terminology issues, um, the use of language here or there. You want to argue about whether the Russians, you know, attack, you know, made a difference or not. I mean, there are all things that you can argue about here. But what they're sure. doing, they have, they've developed this reflexive anti-ism that just leads them to call everything that they don't like a conspiracy theory, a hoax, a witch hunt. It's what, you know, it's, it's, it's what Trump does. And so, uh-huh. you know, Eli, you know, you know, coming up with these notions that the FBI plotted with Twitter to do this, that, or the other thing, you know, they, they keep manipulating facts or being very selective in what, what they report and to come up with these um, sort of this very dark view of literally everything. And, and he has opened up Twitter to, you know, racist Holocaust denial denialists. And, right. and, and he, and he, and he has kicked off Twitter people who have been critical of him. So he's not a free speech absolutist and, you know, he's kind of all over the map and he seems to be like, like, a, like a bull who has a ring in his nose. He <laughs> seems to be being pulled around by these folks who have all, you know, developed this tremendous resentment and chips on their shoulder towards mainstream media, liberal media, the Democrats, you know, basically everybody. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. not, these are not good faith arguments. An example, you know, you know, Greenwald, you know, you know, keeps saying that nothing happened with Russia. There was no attack. There's no hoax. I have, you know, I tried a couple of years ago. I said, Glenn, read the book I wrote with Isikoff, uh, right. Russian Roulette. Read the Mueller report. Read the the you know, I might have said this at the time. Read the Senate Intelligence Committee report, the bipartisan report that came out in 2020 about the Trump Russia scandal that goes into far more detail than the Mueller report ever did. And it's very, very disturbing. Read all those things. And then let's have a real conversation. And that you tell me Mm -hmm. what you think is wrong. Um, But no, it's like, you know, you're just part of, you know, you know, you know, you know, you you know, you have of the hoax, you're just hoaxing. And so it's like the Russian hoax hoax by just insisting again and again, there's a hoax without really truly engaging on, on the issue. Which is, of course, what Trump right. does, and what Republicans, who are his allies, have been doing for years. It's a very, you know, it's a very weird devil's coalition going on here, and Elon Musk has been, you know, yeah. When, when, when you've got when you've got Glenn Greenwald and Mike Cernovich and Nick Fuentes and all these other guys in his ear, trying to convince him that you know you've got to you've got to make sure that Twitter, uh, you know. It, reveals it, it, it's so conspiratorial right now it just it strikes me that how 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 transpartisan the weirdness is in our politics some days because uh i'm sorry to use the word trans i live in the state of florida ron, ron DeSantis will now have his troops on high oh alert. my god uh, <laughs> if you hear on your door rick well, yeah no, exactly I'm... if you hear the sound of helicopters you'll know i've i've said one of the forbidden words in the state of florida but, but uh, you know the, this this 
this coalition of people that has sort of transformed Elon Musk's view of the of the world, it fascinates me. And it I think it could only exist in the time we're having right now because they're they are they come from so many different weird perspectives. I don't know, I don't know how to categorize half of them anymore, other than right. they are these very online denizens of this conspiratorial world that that is, it's like an oppositional defiant disorder, you know, put it stuck in a human body in most of these cases. No, I, I think that's right. And it's, you know, it's, and if it's just them doing their own thing on Substack, so be it. But when right. it starts to affect the richest man in the world, well, he's not, I don't think you know if he's the richest anymore. Not One anymore, of the richest men in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who controls this wonderful community, you know, that you and I are part of on Twitter. Yep. And for all the, for all the the bitching that we and others do about Twitter, I you know I think it has you know it, it has and it still you know has had and still has just tremendous potential for communication for connections. Hundred percent. I've made Absolutely. friends on Twitter. I've been able to amplify my work on Twitter. I've learned things. I've met sources on Twitter. I mean, it's really a tremendous social good most of the time. And like anything, it should have rules and guardrails. You know, highways are great. But you have speed limits, you have guardrails, you know, you have lanes, right? right? You know, not everybody's allowed to drive any any which way they like. There are rules Damn for it. it. <laughs> and so, but Twitter is just such an amazing social good. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just awful to see, you know, Elon Musk come in and, you know, and, and use it as his own playground uh, you know, say there are no rules, try to have rules, be erratic, destroy some of the in- engineering infrastructure that it needs. Um, I mean, he, he could have come in and just said, okay, I'm going to put my head down and, and make this work better, find a way to make money out of this, which I don't begrudge him. I don't think he should, no. you know, we should expect it to lose money. And if at the end of the day, if he says, listen, the only way this works is if everyone kicks in a few bucks, I'd be willing to do that. You know, depending you know on how it's functioning. Uh, you know what? Right? Uh, and that, and that, that's the entire thing. He went at the the Twitter blue verification thing, not as, hey, I'm going to save the company, but I'm going to fuck everybody. I'm going to put a middle finger out there. I'm going to have this fake meritocracy so that, you know, yeah. Hitler fan 807142937 gets a verification and and they get a preference in uh, a preference in the traffic and the elevation, which he's got the guy's not stupid but that was a matter of i think extraordinarily poor judgment on his part or he got convinced well, by there's so much going on here that doesn't see you know i used to think you know um that capitalism you know had a certain imperative right that that, that capitalism i was told to, that i i've heard that they, they want to make money so they so they're not going to do things that are too stupid that's going to cause the stock of, the, of another company to fall by 75% you know that that you know capitalism isn't supposed to work that way, and you know, and so if he had just come in and said, "Let me try to come up with some best practices. Let me remove myself from the from the mud wrestling that goes on here, so that people trust me right. when I say I think this is the best way to do this and the best way to do that, and there's not a political agenda. I'm not targeting people. I mean, it, it wasn't a hard scenario." to write you as a political consultant, me as a journalist, we could have easily written the script here for him easily just keep people happy and try to find a way to make it work better and for him to make money or not lose money from this. He totally screwed that up and alienated a lot of the 
folks. People are still there, as I am, as you are, and I think we should yep. stay there to the bitter end. But it's just sad that um, that he didn't do the obvious things and then fell into, you know, you know, under under the influence of people like Taibbi and then Greenwald and others, and have come up with these Twitter file reports that have interesting things in them. And there are things to, to, to discuss. How do you deal with a president who is sending out tweets that might lead to violence? That's a sure. real tough issue. I understand that. And I would love to see the internal dialogue about that and put it out there. But they've weaponized it. Rather than having a conversation right. or discussion, they've weaponized it. And that's I mean, the, and let's remember when, when they rolled it out, they had this breathless, lurid sort of like, oh, God, the FBI and the intelligence agencies are secretly running Twitter. And and it turns out it's nothing burger bullshit. But, yes, you know, I, I, I just the relationship between the FBI and social media is an interesting thing. If you're trying to fight no disinformation question. coming coming from abroad or you're dealing with hate speech, you know, that's an interesting question. What is the. And I would and I would love it to be open and transparent as much as possible so that we understand this. And so there's a, a great territory there for whether for sure. it's Katie, Greenwald or anybody else uh, or Corn to to write about given these documents. But as I said a moment ago, they wanted to weaponize this against the libs, against mm-hmm. the woke, against the Dems, always against against and in a way that protects the paranoid conspiracy right who that was that was pushing Pizzagate and denying the Russian attack. Right. It really is a it really is a a, a, a tension I don't think we've fully seen play out yet. Well David, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find you on social media. And uh, once again sure. folks I recommend David's book American Psychosis. It's terrific. Yeah, I'm at David Corn DC on Twitter, and 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 David Corn uh, on Mastodon and Post now, and and anything else that comes along. Um, also, I have a newsletter that comes out basically twice a week, and people can go to davidcorn.com to get a um, free trial subscription to that. Um, there's politics. There's also a lot of music and culture, TV, movies, books in the newsletter, and stuff that doesn't appear elsewhere. Um, nice. So I'd appreciate if you check that out as well, and um, and also you know my home base is Mother Jones, MotherJones.com. We're always got good stuff on the website. Uh, check it out if you don't see it on Twitter. There it is. All right. Well, David Corn, thank you so much for joining us today. We will talk to you again very soon, my friend. So today on the enemies list, it's Florida. I love Florida. I'm a fifth generation Florida man. I love this state. It is shockingly beautiful once you get out of the tourist parts. It is a place with as weird and as wild as it can be. Florida has some of the kindest people you'll ever meet. And right now, unfortunately, my state is the subject of a gigantic social experiment. And this social experiment is led by, of course, Ron DeSantis and a guy named Christopher Rufo. Now, Christopher Rufo is a right-wing cancel culture social justice warrior, which I was told was bad, and right now he is running rip shit through Florida's educational institutions. And his goal is to purge the evil diversity, to make sure critical race theory is expunged. Okay, first off, 
the amount of time and money actually spent on critical race theory and diversity in the state of Florida is horseshit. It's one of the most conservative states in the country. The schools are very conservative. They found new college down in Sarasota, Florida. It's a small, it's a micro school. It's 700 students. There are more people in the in the Etruscan history program at Florida State probably than, than all of new college. I don't even know if there's an Etruscan history program, folks. It just sounds good. I'd do it. But these guys, it's not just that they want to have a bias towards Western civilization in the schools. That's not really what they're after. They are trying to exercise big government power for political outcomes. They're trying to exercise the power of the state to intimidate, to browbeat, to threaten people who disagree with them on any political front. Look, guys, I'm a former Republican and I'm still a conservative, but I'm a conservative in the individual liberty way. I'm a conservative in the small government way. I'm a conservative that government shouldn't be applied to make you change your beliefs or alter your life, but they do. It's a real sign of the death of the Republican ideal and the conservative ideal in Florida that their hero is Ron DeSantis and his henchperson, Christopher Rufo, um, is out running around trying to transform what were universities into, because they always tell you what they're going to do, into places that are indoctrinating people in the MAGA ideology. They do not care about gay and lesbian studies, really. They care about owning the libs. They do not care about CRT, really. They care about owning the libs and motivating the Republican base. All of this is in service to Ron DeSantis' 2024 presidential primary campaign against Donald Trump. And look, and does, does, does higher education need reform? Of course it does. Should we review people more frequently than just pure tenure? Yeah, I think so. But the way they're doing this is on threats and intimidation, and and it's it's an ugly process that's going to get much, much uglier. And Rufo is a very skilled troll, a very skilled social media arsonist, and he's exactly the person who is going to be Ron DeSantis' secretary of education if he gets elected president. So it's something to keep an eye on. And again, you know, I used to say, get your shit together after all these things. These people will never get their shit together. They're, they're getting their shit together is opposite to what they could possibly conceive of. So I would then urge the University System of Florida to get your shit together. Because if you want to maintain any independence, you want to maintain any sense of clarity and mission that isn't defined by a guy from out of state and from Ron DeSantis, who, like a lot of these weird MAGA activists, He's got two degrees from an Ivy. You know, you see Ted Cruz, Princeton, Josh Hawley, Oxford and Stanford, Rufo, Yale, all these people who went through with the, this meritocratic system have suddenly decided that they're, they're going to burn it to the ground. But it really did. It really has struck me just how unready everyone is for this attack and just how unprepared the institutions of higher learning in Florida and beyond are, are for this war that's coming at them. So folks, get your shit together. This has been The Enemies List, and if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square, a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds. 
talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad, along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious and more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com slash enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again.